Tonight we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in the Old Testament about a story uh, that we learn about this young man named Samuel. Samuel has an interesting backstory. We're going to talk about it here in a little bit. In in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, we get the backstory of this young man, Samuel. But in 1 Samuel 3, most scholars believe that at this point in his life, Samuel's 12 years old. So put that into context. 12 years old as we kind of navigate this passage of scripture together. So if you begin reading with me in verse 1, whether it's in your Bibles or the YouVersion Bible app in the live events, we're going to begin reading verse 1 of 1 Samuel 3. It goes like this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Now the, the Hebrew word here for rare is, is the words where we get like scarce and beautifully absent, like It's the idea that, man, what is missing here is something beyond anything we can imagine. It is rare. So catch that. What are you saying? In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. It wasn't happening on a regular basis. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called to me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli, said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. And his sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Or to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. And Samuel lay down until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Don't hide it from me. May God deal with it, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So here's the thing about this story, right? I, I want you guys to, to put yourself in the perspective of what's happening here. Samuel 
is a 12-year-old altar boy, pretty much. Except Samuel now is living, eating, breathing. Everything he does in life as a 12-year-old is in the tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle, which had been, it served as this temporary moving dwelling place of God under Moses and Joshua in the wilderness, has now been placed in a more permanent location in a city called Shiloh, because now they're no longer moving as much as they were under Moses and Joshua's leadership. And so, Eli, the high priest, has set up the tabernacle, and they, and, and they are doing ministry in this town called Shiloh. And Samuel's role is to attend to and to help out and assist Eli, who is now at this point getting old, losing his eyesight. And so Samuel is serving as the kind of the number two person, as a 12-year-old, in the tabernacle. Now, what's amazing about this is we find out some pretty significant things in the verses that we read. Like, for instance, the the word of God or the voice of God at this period in Israel's history is rare. This is huge. And a lot of times we read this passage and we overlook that verse. But let me tell you why that's so significant. Because the voice of God had not been rare to previous generations. Right? God was speaking to Moses from mountains, right? He is booming and thundering. Like God is speaking to Joshua, and he's Joshua's under Joshua's leadership. Like they're conquering the promised land. Like God is speaking time and time and time and time again. But for some reason, over the last decade or two leading up to what we read, God has grown more and more silent, and his speaking to the people of Israel has become a rarity. Now the reason for that, if you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 2, is the wickedness in the family of Eli, the high priest. Now Eli, by all accounts, was a a really great guy who tried to do his best to, to lead as the high priest. And he had followed the long lineage of his ancestors, which go all the way back to Moses' brother Aaron. When God set up Aaron and his family as the priestly tribe, Eli has carried out that for his family. And he's done it by most accounts very faithfully. However, what we find is, while he has been tending to the spiritual needs of the people of Israel, he has allowed his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, strange names, right? He's allowed them to kind of run amok. They basically become corrupted. They know that they're going to be the next in the line of priests. And they figured out that's going to be profitable. So they start cheating people out of money. Scripture even tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that they're sleeping with the women who are working outside of the tabernacle. They are promoting their own positions of power to get fame and fortune. Like they've become disobedient. And Eli is fully aware of it, but doesn't put his foot down to stop it. And because of that, God has told Eli, I'm going to put an end to your role and your family's role as the spiritual leaders of Israel. Now, Eli knows this. Nobody else does. Now there's this 12-year-old boy who is serving in the tabernacle, and in the middle of the night, he hears a voice. And in the middle of the night, you hear a voice. He's never heard the word of God because it's so rare. He automatically assumes it's who? It's Eli. So he gets up and he goes to Eli, and he's like, yes, sir, what do you need? Like, I heard you. What do you, what do you want? And Eli's like, dude, I didn't wake you up. Go back to bed. This happens another time and then a third time. And finally on the third time, Eli's not quite as asleep. And it dawns on Eli, oh, 
if I'm not speaking to him, maybe God is. Hey, Samuel, I want you to go back to bed. And if you hear that again, I want you to speak back to God. Speak for your servant is listening and see what God says. Eli goes back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. And it happens again and God speaks to Samuel. What does he say to Samuel? He tells Samuel that Eli and his sons are doomed. And that he is now going to become a messenger for Israel. Now can you imagine a 12-year-old boy getting that news from God? And now morning comes. He wakes up and he opens up the doors to the tabernacle like he always does. And maybe he begins to sweep the floors. And he's trying to pretend like what he had heard didn't happen. And then Eli comes up and he's like, Samuel, did God talk to you again? And Eli's like, yes. What, what did he say? I don't want to say. No, what did he tell you, Samuel? No, no, I, seriously, Eli, not a big deal. I, I'd rather not talk about it. Eli's like, listen, may God deal with you ever severely if you don't tell me the truth right now. And Samuel's like, okay, okay. And he begins, his first message from God is pronouncing doom on his mentor that has been taking care of him. You know what Eli's response is? Let God do what he wants. Like, he's in control. This isn't news to Eli. He already knows it's true. But the significance is not lost on Eli that God has now told Samuel that that's true. Because now Eli knows God has a special role and a plan in place for this 12-year-old boy who has been serving as his assistant in the tabernacle. Can you imagine the gravity and the weight that this 12-year-old boy is now feeling? He's now told the high priest, his mentor, the guy who has raised him and fed him in the temple, that he is doomed. And he now knows that God's got a different plan in place for him. If you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. A childlike faith is a nurtured faith. A childlike faith is a nurtured faith. I mentioned earlier that the beginning, the origin story of Samuel is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Samuel is actually the child of a woman named Hannah who had prayed for years for a child and was unable to have one. And we've talked about this, I think it was on Mother's Day, where we told the story of Hannah and Elkanah and how they promised that if you gave us a son, God, we will give him back to you. And sure enough, God gave them a son named Samuel, and as soon as he was old enough to be weaned from his mother, Hannah took him back to the tabernacle and said, Here you go, Eli. I'm presenting this child back to you. You raise this child because this child has something special and important to do. And from the time he was super young until this moment when he's 12, Eli raised this child to know and understand the duty of what it means to follow God. And even though Samuel has never heard the voice of God, he is learning at the feet of a mentor who's the high priest. I want you to think about this. You don't just accidentally stumble into the right kind of faith. It doesn't just accidentally happen. A childlike faith, a godly faith that which God says he is pleased with is nurtured and intentionally cared for so that someday you can grow into the faith that God has for you. That's, that's what happened here to Samuel. Do not miss the juxtaposition 
in these passages. It is Eli who failed to nurture the faith of his own two sons. In complete stark contrast to Samuel, whose faith has been nurtured by his mother, and Eli, who had failed to nurture his own boy's faith all along. This juxtaposition of these wicked children of Eli who did not have the faith that they were supposed to have, in stark contrast to the type of faith that God wants all of us to have in a boy named Samuel. One of the things that bothers me the most about American Christianity and about 21st century American spirituality is this. We think that somehow we can just go through the motions and someday accidentally stumble upon deep level faith. That just doesn't happen. Like this spiritual journey that we're on is difficult enough if, if we're working hard at it. But man, it, we're not just going to one day wake up having not done anything, any discipleship or any kind of growth or any intentionality on our part. We're not just going to wake up one day and have perfect faith. Because childlike faith, the kind of faith that God wants us to have, is nurtured over time and requires an intentionality on our part. It's part of the reason why I'm such a stickler for for being in the house of God on a regular basis. Why public worship, corporate worship together matters so much to me. It's also why small groups and discipleship groups are so important to me. Because if you are going to ever have the kind of faith that God wants you to have you are going to have to have that nurtured over time and be intentionally involved and invested in your own faith development and faith walk. It requires effort on our part. And Samuel, think about this. Samuel has been uniquely prepared for this moment, hasn't he? Since he was a little toddler, everything he ate and slept and breathed was in the tabernacle. Like everything, everything that he saw on a daily basis was a reminder of God. The the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, which is in the Holy of Holies, was just a few feet away from where he slept every single night. The altars and the the prayers and, and all the symbolism that God had given the people of Israel were in front of him every single day. He watched Eli perform the duties of the high priest. He watched the people of Israel follow the traditions of their religion. Every year his own mother would bring him a new robe when they would come and worship and make their sacrifice in the tabernacle. His faith was nurtured. And because of that, He had created in himself this deep desire and commitment to be the best that he could be in his own faith walk. It's not lost on me. The prayer that Hannah prays in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 26 and 28. She says this. As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life will be given over to him. This is what she she says to Eli when she gives Samuel back. Having prayed for this child and now she's being faithful to give it back. You see what she's praying for is that her son would live a life of significance, not success. And if we are going to be people of genuine faith, that needs to be our prayer as well. 
You see, the problem for so many of us is we live in a country that tells us the end-all, be-all is how successful we are. So what do we do? We pray, Lord, make me successful. Lord, make me prosperous. Lord, help me accomplish much. But instead of praying for success, people with childlike faith pray for significance. Lord, make me significant. Help me make an impact. Help me make a difference. It doesn't matter to me if I'm ever successful in the eyes of the world. If I am significant for the kingdom, that is enough. And I think for many of us in this room, we need to begin to ask God, Lord, am I nurturing the kind of faith and am I praying the kind of prayers that allow me to live a life that is significant, which is way more important than living a life that the world says is successful? Lord, make me significant. You know what's really sad about this? is Eli does an amazing job raising Samuel. And I have to think that maybe he sees this as his second chance to get it right because he missed it with his first two children. He knows that those children, actually the the prophetic word to him is that those two children are going to die on the same day. Not too long after this passage of Scripture, we see that that happens. They're being disobedient. They, they take the Ark of the Covenant out of the Holy of Holy Place, out onto the battlefield to try to play hero in a battle against the Philistines. They're both killed. The Ark of the Covenant is taken away. And when Eli gets the news, Eli dies. All three of them, dead on the same day, which leaves Samuel, at this point as a young teenager, the spokesperson of God for the people of Israel. But he was ready for it because he was nurtured in his faith to get to this point. Let me ask you this. Who are the people in your life that you have given permission to nurture your faith? Who are those people? Are they your parents? Are they your discipleship leaders? Are they your pastor? Are they friends? Are they accountability partners? Who are the people in your life that are intentionally nurturing your faith so that you can have the kind of faith that God wants you to have? You will not accidentally stumble upon it. It will need to be intentional. Secondly, if you're taking notes, write this down. Our proximity to God will impact our ability to hear from him. Do not think that the significance of the language that is used in this passage, don't miss it. He says, listen, the the lights have gone out and Samuel is sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant. Near the Ark of God. The Ark of God represents two things. The presence of God and the power of God in the people of Israel. Think about this for a second. This boy has slept feet away from the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence and God's power every single day of his life. Every single day. Is it any wonder that he was in a unique position then to hear God when he chose to speak? I mean, write this down. You will never hear from God if you never put yourself in a place where God is present to be heard. You're just not going to hear from him. You say, I want to hear from God. I want to know what he wants me to do. I want to have an idea of what his purpose is for my life. You're not ever going to hear that if you do not make space and create opportunity and be in the presence of God on a regular basis so that you can receive it when he's ready to speak it. You see, if Samuel had not been nurtured in his faith and had not been in the proximity of where he was on that rare moment when God chose to speak 
in the midst of the silence of God throughout the people of Israel, he would have missed God. But because he was where he was supposed to be, he was able to hear the voice of God. There's a direct correlation between proximity and availability. That's the reason why James, the brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a give and take, right? It's a give and take. Except this isn't like 90-10, right? This isn't, this isn't hitch. You come 90, I come 10. If you don't know that, you got to watch the movie, right? You come 90, no, though. This is, I'm going to do my part to come to where God is so that he can then speak to me and I'm in a place where I'm going to hear it. You see, childlike faith requires a commitment to listen. And not just listen, but to be able to recognize the voice of God. When it comes to real estate, they say this. It's all about location, location, location. It's all about location, location, location. You know, it's fascinating to me. My house that I live here, Aaron and I live here in Hilliard, it's a modest home. I'm grateful for it. We're blessed. But if you take that house and put it where I grew up, it's a really fancy house. If you take that house and put it in L.A., it's a really crappy house. Take that house and put it on the beach. Everything's better at the beach, but still, right? Like, location, location, location. The same is true when it comes to our faith walk. The closer we are to the person of God, the more often we are to put ourselves in the presence of God, the more likely we are to reap the benefits and hear the voice of God. Location matters. You say, man, I've never heard God speak. Well, I've never heard God audibly speak either. There have been times in my life when I begged for it because that would have made it a whole lot simpler. Right? It would have scared me to death, but it still would have made it a whole lot simpler. You say, but I'd love to hear God. I'd love to get God's direction. I'd love to be more clear on what God's saying to me. Okay, well, how often are you in the presence of God? How often do you have a posture of prayer that says, I'm going to tune out the distractions. I'm going to lay down my smartphones and my tablets. I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to not even worry about the things that are going on in the world. I'm going to be still so I can know who God is. How often are you in God's word? How often are you in God's house? How often are you with God's people? How often are you in the presence of the Almighty God? Because the proximity that we have to the presence of God will ultimately dictate whether or not we are listening or able to listen to the voice of God and even recognize it when he speaks. You see, when we're in the right place, when we're pursuing the presence of God, we give God permission and space to speak. I, I wish Eli had been modeling this for his other two sons, but what he says to Samuel is really profound. When God speaks to you again... Simply give him permission to speak. Speak, your servant is listening. Let me ask you this. How many times have you given God permission to speak? And I'm not just saying how many times have you asked God to speak to you, but how many times have your actions and your locations and your posture of prayer actually given God time and space and permission to speak in your life? You see, Samuel has a unique faith because he has kind of planted himself in the presence of God all these years. So when God speaks, he's ready to listen. Now here's the thing. Proximity alone doesn't guarantee God's going to speak to you. 
Eli and Hophni and Phinehas are proof of that, right? Because it's proximity aligned with the posture of our heart that we want to hear from God. So here's the deal. God, I want to be near you so that I can hear from you. Not everybody who comes to church on Sundays, not everybody who reads scripture is going to necessarily hear the heart of God unless our hearts are in tune asking God to speak into us. Proximity doesn't guarantee it, but I guarantee you this. Without the proximity, you're probably not going to hear it. You're probably not going to hear it. That's why, check this out, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says to the people of Israel, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live. Two chapters later in Deuteronomy 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Isaiah 55 verse 3 He says to the prophet Isaiah, give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. Jesus himself is quoted six times in the Gospels as saying, he that has ears, let him hear. It is important that we intentionally seek to hear from God. You see, part of the problem is we often ask God to get us where we want to go. But people with childlike faith say, place me where you want me. And then tell me what you want me to hear. Place me where you want me. And tell me what you want me to hear. Why does God want us to listen? Look again at those verses in Deuteronomy and Isaiah. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey. And what does he say? So that it may go well with you. Give ear and come to to me. Hear me that your soul may live. God is saying, I want to bless you. I want to give you what your heart desires, but I can't do that if you won't listen. And you will never hear me if you are not near me. You will not hear me if you are not near me. Which leads us to this last point. The blessings of God require us to listen to the direction and commands of God. Listen, being in close proximity is a huge step. Hearing God is a huge step. But the biggest step is going from hearing to listening. It's that eight inches that drops from my ears to my heart. It says, I hear you, God, and now I'm going to take what you had to say and put it into into action in my life. And can you imagine, Samuel, the first time God spoke to him, he has to give a horrible message to his mentor. He didn't want to do it. What 12-year-old would? Like, I don't want to... I want to pronounce doom on this person that I love, and yet that was their responsibility. So Samuel was not only near God, and not only did he hear God, but he chose to listen and obey God, and he was able to pronounce to Eli the prophetic message that he had for him. But this was just the beginning. Because what we find is that Samuel becomes a man of noble and pure character, even at a young age. He's the one that eventually organizes what we now know as the kingdom of Israel. He's the one that blesses and actually lifts up the first two kings of Israel into their place. He's the one who picks David with God's direction to be the second king of Israel, the greatest king in Israel's history. He becomes not only the last of the judges, the greatest of the judges, but then transitions into the first of the prophets. He speaks so clearly the word of God that there's no question that he is listening and obeying what God has for him. He becomes the voice 
in what had been an otherwise silent generation where God had not spoken for years. And because of him, God begins to speak again to the people of Israel time and time and time again. And through his obedience, he begins to raise up more and more prophets and more and more people that could speak God's word. But here's the problem. The people of Israel eventually stop listening again. And they become disobedient again. And if all you have to do is try reading through the Old Testament and hear the stories of their disobedience and listen to the prophets to understand that over the course of time, they stopped hearing, they stopped growing near to the proximity of the presence of God, and they stopped listening and being obedient. And guess what happens? God goes silent again. For 400 years this time. And doesn't speak again until Jesus comes. There is a huge significance. If we want to experience the blessing of God, it requires more than being in his presence and more than hearing his voice and recognizing it. It requires us to have the kind of faith that says, I will hear it and I will obey it, which is the definition of listening. I will hear it and I will heed it and I will listen. And Samuel does that in such a beautiful way that it changes the way that God chooses to communicate with the people of Israel. You say, I've never heard God speak like that. Neither have I. Well, then how are we supposed to know or understand? Listen, the book of Hebrews tells us that there was a time when he spoke through prophets, but now he's spoken through his son. How How do you know what God wants to say to you? It's all there. How do I know what God wants from me? It's all there. Now we don't even have to just hear him speak. We can read it. And we have access to it 24-7. Here's the question. What are you doing with this? What do we do with this? Tells God whether or not we want to listen and obey. That's why Paul says to Timothy, All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, childlike faith says what? I want to be near the presence of God. I want to hear the voice of God. And I will listen and obey to whatever it is he has to say. I want to be near. I want to hear. And I will listen and obey. And we see that exhibited in the childlike faith of a 12-year-old named Samuel who by the time his life is over has done more for the kingdom of God at that point in time in history than anybody else had. He's judged Israel. He served as a, as a kind of an interim priest. He's become the first prophet. He's anointed the first kings. He's paved the way and created schools for the next prophets of God so that the voice of God could be spoken and heard. Samuel, this 12-year-old boy who had his faith nurtured, found himself near the presence of God so he could hear and recognize the voice of God. And he began to listen and obey. You see, Samuel turned over control, he turned over destination, and he turned over outcomes to God. At the end of the day, here's the deal. If we do what we already know God requires of us, then all we have to do is listen for further instructions. So, What do you do? Listen 
and then follow any further instructions that he has. You know what I love is verse 19 of this passage. It says this, So Samuel grew up, and the Lord was with him, not allowing any of his words to fail. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, he's listed in what we call the hall of faith. This 12-year-old boy, whose faith was nurtured by his mother and a mentor named Eli, who spent his life in the presence of God, learned to hear and recognize the voice of God, and heeded and listened and obeyed to the instructions of God, shows us what childlike faith really looks like. If we're going to tweet or post anything this week, take anything away, I want it to be this. A childlike faith craves the presence of God, listens for his voice, and is eager to obey. May that be our faith as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this 12-year-old boy named Samuel, who was nurtured by his mother and Eli to know your voice, who spent his life in the presence of of God, Almighty God, in such a way that he he grew to hear and recognize your voice. But even more than that, he then took that and listened and obeyed your voice. At the end of the day, that is one of the most important parts of our childlike faith. So Lord, give us that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, I want to be near the presence of God. I want to hear and recognize the voice of God so that I can listen and obey the instructions of God. May that be so in all of our lives, we pray. Give us that kind of childlike faith. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.